Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. All right, the church should be. I'm ready to dive into this series. The church should be. So I actually want to hear from you. How would you complete that statement? Because one of the things that I have realized and seen, being a pastor, it's really interesting, right? Whenever I go somewhere and people ask, so what do you do? I'm always tempted to just be like, I speak publicly. Because, <laughs> because you never know what the response is going to be when I say, I'm a pastor. Oh, pardon me. If you are in youth, Lifehouse Youth, <laughs> Lifehouse Youth, uh, you can be dismissed. We have got, who's, who's, who's going to be overseeing them? We, we, we got, who's that? Oh, Austin, Austin Gore, Bishop Gore. You got Bishop Gore, y'all. Like, youth, you need to go with Bishop Gore, and youth are going to have a fun time. So if, so if you're in the 6th through 12th grade, you can go to Theater 20, and they will get engaged there. So, but, but yeah, like, I, I, I really struggle with, with that because it, it's crazy how some people you'll talk to, or, like, you'll share what, what you do, and the visceral reaction or just the reactions in general are so blended. Some, oh, well, my dad was a pastor, or da, 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 you know. Or, or, or it's, they, they can almost get this, like, <laughs> like, I just triggered something. <laughs> I just triggered something, right? But people have a lot of opinions on what people think the church should be. And people are not afraid to share them. If you go on TikTok, <laughs> like, people are being, and flat out, discipled by, tic, by TikTok. People are going on there to voice a lot of the disgruntledment they have towards the church. Like, it's, it just seems like no one has a filter anymore when it comes to what they believe the church should be. People share freely. So actually, I would, I would love to hear today, when, how would you complete that statement? The church should be an example. Inviting. Very good. Some, someone else. Accepting. Honest. That's kind of an important one. Friendly. Transparent. Safe. Home. Church should be home. Non-judgmental. Huh? Gospel-focused. Oh, we're getting into some deep words. Gospel-focused. I like people like that, though. Let's go deep. Someone else. Huh? Diverse. Love that one. That's why I love our church. Praise God. Someone else. Huh, what? Who? Generous. They were like, I'm not saying it now. <laughs> huh? My man. Whoever said growing. I agree with that one. So, like, do you, like, and it's crazy how, like, there's so many, like, it's almost like each person has a definition of what they think church should be. Now, what I think sometimes we don't realize is what you believe this church should be is laced with a lot of different variables. Even what you think about anything is laced with a lot of different variables. And you can see this by when you go on Google reviews. <laughs> it's wild. Like, people's reviews and what they believe about a restaurant, like what they believe about a church, what they believe about a dentist office, 
These reviews are laced with so many variables. Because you have people, they will go and have a bad experience but offer grace and say something nice. You will have people that they could have the best experience on the planet. But because they're so hurt and broken, they will only see what didn't happen instead of what did happen. So they will, so, so, and, and, and then too, like, like you got people's variables. DNA plays a part. Experiences play a part. Education plays a part. There's so many variables that shape what we think something should be. And you know this is true. And this is not any different than when it comes to the church. So it was wild. I threw this out there on social media. I said, hey, what do you think the church should be? And I got about 15, 18 responses back from various people through various, you know, through, through different response platforms and stuff like that. And let me tell you what the number one thing I got back was. Ready? Safe. Church should be safe. That to me, like, implies people believe church is harmful. Like, the church is a place where, where you, you aren't, like, safe. I'm like, that hurt my heart. Because when I look at Jesus' life, he was a safe place. For some. If you were to speak to Pharisees in Jesus' day, would they deem Jesus as safe? No. <laughs> Jesus was actually quite scary. When Jesus tells you, if you make someone what you are, they become twice the son of hell that you are. Jesus said, you vipers. Jesus said, you whitewashed tombs. Now, all I'm trying to imply with this is that when we say safe, it's important, and this is in any realm, we come to an agreement on what we mean by that. Because I agree, the church has done a terrible job at making people who are trying to figure life out who are trying to figure out the purpose of life. Is there a God? Wrestling through moral issues, wrestling through emotional issues, wrestling through mental health issues, like wrestling through a bunch of stuff. I would agree the church has done a terrible job at large of creating a safe place where people can figure some stuff out. Because as easy and as neatly as we want to make life and make Jesus and make the gospel it's, it's actually very nuanced and very layered. And so just telling somebody that is having mental health issues, just pray harder, that doesn't feel safe to them. Because they're probably like, I've tried that. So I agree with Part of that statement is, yes, the church has done not a great job of helping people have a safe place to figure some stuff out. Because I think sometimes the church can just have people come in and just expect them to change overnight. When if you've been saved, I've been saved 21 
22, 20, 20, I'm that old, 23 years. And there are still things I'm wrestling through. And we expect people to come in in 23 days to have stuff figured out. We have got to create safe places for people to even belong before they believe. Even belief, like belief can kind of go in cycles based on seasons. So I am down with safe. Like I want safe. And one of the things that I love and that I will fight for in this church is to be a safe place. And I have fought for that and I'm not ashamed of it. Because people have come into our church wrestling through things, various things. And the worst thing we could do was take a Bible and give them a scripture. They can't even interpret this. So all they hear is hate. They don't hear the Father's heart. They don't hear love. And it's going to take a while for them to even realize God's love for them isn't always affirming what they think or do. Does that make sense? People need time, y'all. I love, I stole this from some other church. (laughs) I call it creative plagiarism is what it is. Creative plagiarism. is They say, like, we want to give people the gospel, safety, and time. I love that. means you're going to hear the gospel. And you know if you're at LifeHouse, we preach the gospel. We don't counterfeit. Because people don't need good ideas. They need God ideas. People don't need self-help. They got enough help, self, self-help, whatever you want to call it, floating out there. And look how it's doing. They need gospel truths that hit their heart. It's spiritual battles. We address the spiritual. We don't just take symptoms and try to change sim- sim- symptoms. Because the symptoms are a root of the spirit thing going on in their life. So I will fight, we will fight to create safe places where people can figure stuff out. And they'll have a good mix of the gospel, safe place, and time. Now, on the other end, I have been in situations where people will deem a church unsafe because they have been corrected. So, they will be doing something that they know they should not be doing that scripture plainly is against, that, that, and in love, people will go to them and they'll say, hey, this is not God's best. Because even you see Paul in this book addressing churches and giving correction to things he knows is going on. And Paul's heart in doing it isn't, you suck, get better. Paul's heart is, this isn't who you are anymore. You, this is your old self. Don't keep trying to bring up that old self. Like you used to do those things. But now because of who you are in Christ, I want to call you up to who you already are instead of just telling you everything you aren't. That isn't good loving correction. Loving correction is let me remind you of who you are. Not beat you down for what you aren't or aren't doing. But some people, even when they get corrected, in a loving way, they will say things like the church isn't safe because the church doesn't affirm everything I do. And just let me remind you, the church isn't called to affirm everything you do. Jesus didn't affirm everything everyone did. Paul didn't affirm everything everyone did. 
you don't affirm everything your kid does. How dumb would that be? Hey, Jax, Mountain Dew for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Throw in a little bit of Airheads. Have fun, buddy. No. But I say all this because we've got to make sure that when we use terms, we, we have an agreement. Because how you have been shaped and formed to think about things has been highly influenced by your experiences. The Wesleyan church, John Wesley came up with what he called the quadrilateral way of thinking. When basically saying, whenever you think about anything, as a Christian, this is, this is the filters it rolls through. Okay? Because I think we have been trained, you don't, might, might not believe it, you think about things through different filters. And most of the time, the first filter we, ex, we think things through is our experiences. Which what, John, which what John Wesley points out here, when he was thinking through the, co- the quadrilateral way of, of thinking, is not that experiences don't matter, but experiences come last. And what he says here is the first thing we think, we think anything through is scripture. And I pray you would learn this, because when you learn this, this will help you think about anything in a systematic 360-degree way. Politics? Politicians? Moral issues? Cultural issues? My prayer is that you would use this. Because the first thing, how we think through things, is scripture. I just went through puberty right there. Did you hear that? Scripture. (laughs) I shave my beard and I go to pre-puberty. Like, (laughs) wild how that works, Robert. Sorry, if you are somewhat new here, I haven't been without a beard in probably two and a half years. So I walk in today and people think I am a first-time guest. They're coming over to greet me. Hello, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm the pastor. Okay. <laughs> but anything, like anything we do, has got to be first filtered through this book. Anything. Like the first filter, and do you know why people don't want to actually do that? Because it's hard. Because this book isn't, there are Christians that are on both sides of a lot of different stuff. How they even view and interpret this book can be different. So it somewhat takes some work to dive in and say, but what we can't do is start on the opposite end. Interpret this book through your experiences. Because then you'll take what is solid in your experience is solid to you. It is subjective. But you will take something that is objective, scripture, which we believe is God's inspired word, and you will, instead of interpreting your experiences through this book, you'll take, your, you'll take this book and interpret it through your experiences. And then you could take something and twist it to be what you want. Even one of the things that Paul says people will do in the last days is they will take the word and twist it and follow teachers that say what their itching ears want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And there's an epidemic of that. It's called TikTok. You can have whatever affirmed on TikTok. But we start off with with scripture what does this say and then tradition 
what has been done throughout church, church history for 2,000 years? Like, there are people smarter than us that have done things a certain way. That, that, that's why it's important. And then, two, reason. Like, does this logically make sense? And then experience. I would encourage you, learn this. All right, but, but when we're talking about the church, what the church should be, I believe the way forward isn't by looking more forward, it's by looking back. By looking back, because we can have all these opinions of what we believe the church should be, when instead of us just mixing together our experiences and all of this stuff to make this kind of what we want church to be pie, we need to actually look back in this book and look at the church in its most embryonic form. Because I think the way forward is when we need to, is to, excuse me, to move forward, we must look back. So in this series, we're going to dive into a portion of scripture, a book in the Bible, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a historical account put together by the historian Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke. Actually, Luke and this book, Acts, were actually a two-volume version. They were not separated. They were two books that Luke, who was a trained historian, went and got eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, of the early church, and put it together in a, in a deep, thorough, understandable form that, became, that later became scripture, acts, acts as, for us, a picture of what the church was and what the church can be. And what I'm going to actually challenge you to do as a part of this series is twofold. One, Read the book of Acts in the month of May. So I'm challenged. People love challenge. You know, people love challenges. I want you, like, if you're a Bible reader, put aside your Bible reading plan and just read Acts for 30 days, 30 or 31 days. Don't read nothing else. And second, or if you're not a Bible person reader, start reading the book of you might be like, I, I, you know, I won't understand it. It's okay. I promise you, you'll get some stuff. I promise you. Because here's what I feel like we need to do. We need to detox. Everyone say detox. detox. From what we think the church should be based on a lot of variables, and we need to detox from that and see what the church was, is, and can be according to this book. We need a detox. We need a cleaning. Anyone ever done a detox cleaning? It can feel like hell. You cut out bread. You cut out sweets. That's what I'm saying. You cut out mashed potatoes. You cut out mac and cheese. You, like, you, you, you go to bonefish and don't eat the bread. That's hell. If you've ever done a cleanse, it can hurt. But that is what I want us to do when it comes to the church. And secondly, memorize the portion of scripture we're going to focus on in this series, Acts 2, 42 through 47. Because I believe if we're going to see a way forward that is outside of our experiences, because some of you, you can't even see what the church can be because of what the church was. And it's like you almost miss the potential of the church because your potential was limited to your experiences. Do you know your experiences can jade what could be? A great example is relationships. You will have a couple crappy dating relationships and find a good man or a good woman and project onto them your experience and miss something beautiful in front of you. 
I, Kristen won't mind me telling you this, but there were even things that, and probably, and, and this is probably something we've both done, that we've had to work through projecting our past onto them. Where there were some things that Kristen would tell me, and I would say, that's not me, babe. That ain't this man. I love Jesus. I love you. I love our boys. I'm a committed father. I'm present. Am I perfect? Heck no. But some of you miss the potential of what can be with the church because your experiences have been a certain way. And you miss what can be because you're projecting towards something that could be beautiful. You're projecting your past onto it. So what I'm praying that this series does is it opens up the potential of what church can be. But in order to do that, we got to detox. Amen? Amen. So we're going to read today our portion of scripture, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Let me set it up the, the context for you. Acts chapter 1, Jesus he it talks to his disciples before he ascends. He tells them, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to my father. But hey, if I'm leaving, I'm not going to leave you here by yourself. I'm going to send you the power of the Holy Spirit. But do not go do anything in my name until you have the Holy Spirit. Because you will go out and do it in your own strength and fail miserably. You need the Spirit of God. So he, he goes up. The church is chilling. Can you imagine being in these prayer meetings without the Spirit? Probably monotony. Great, Peter's going to pray again. He's the longest prayer. You always got those people to pray forever. Say Father God a hundred times. Father God, Father God, Father God, right? Like a hundred times. And you can't even focus on the prayer because you're counting how many times they're saying Father God. <laughs> you know that's true. You got those people, they, 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 they just like, some of y'all got ADD in prayer. Like you can't even pray because... Just focusing on what everyone else is saying. Amen. Right? So you just see, like, it's, it's by sitting back there praying, chilling. And, you know, like, they, you know, they're saying, you know, Jesus said he's going to send the Holy Spirit. We, we, we are praying. Peter praying again. John praying again. James is always the, is, is the monotone one. Whenever you listen to him, he's going to go to sleep. It's like you're listening to those apps to put you to sleep. James is like, hello, Lord. I'd love to come to you. You know, it's like. But then you see in Acts chapter 2, Acts 1, they're continuing to pray, they're continuing to meet together. Acts chapter 2, the first word in Acts chapter 2 is the word suddenly. Suddenly. It says there became a noise that sounded like a rushing wind. And, that, and, the, and those words there is basically like, like it was a F5 tornado, like a train. Suddenly, it sounded like, a, like the blowing of a mighty wind came, and tongues of fire came and rested on each of them. And then you see from there, there was this move of God happening. And it's during a time of Pentecost, where Pentecost was like a big party where these people from different nations would come and spoke different, different languages, and they would come to Jerusalem, and they would all be standing there. And then it says these, these Jews who did not speak these foreign languages started to speak these foreign languages and started to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in languages they did not speak to people that they could understand. And after that, it says Peter got up and preached to a crowd of thousands. 
The same Peter who could not even stand in front of a servant girl and say, I know Jesus, gets up and preaches to probably eight to 10,000 people and proclaims boldly the good news of Jesus Christ. And it says over 3,000 people, not including women and children, started to get, got saved on that day. They got baptized on that day and the church was born. The first verses right after all of this happened is Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Let's read it. It is 1143, and I am just starting. My God. Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says this. All the believers, say that, say that word, devote. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I was way off. <laughs> All the believers devoted. Sorry. All the believers devoted themselves. So you see what happened right after the spirit fell and repentance and baptism happened there was devotion. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were being taught to fellowship. They were with each other, sharing in meals, and that would be the Lord's Supper, receiving communion, which we're going to do to close out service today. And then it says, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So the person that said the church should be growing, I agree. Because what we see, a byproduct of when the church was devoted is the church grew. But I don't want to get focused on that today. I want to talk about this word devoted. A byproduct of them, the spirit falling, them repenting, them getting baptized, the next step was devoted. And it's so funny whenever we talk about this word devoted, let's first off define it in the Greek. So this right here, now I stutter anyway, English, so speaking in Greek is a challenge, okay? Uh, this is what it says. Uh, the Greek word is pros, oh, proskarterio, okay? Which that word is translated devoted, which means to be earnest towards, persevere, consistently diligent, attend assiduously, I love that, to all the exercises, to adhere closely to, attend continually, to wait on. Like, do you see the depth and breadth of this word? This is what they gave themselves to, teaching fellowship, prayer, communion, and generosity. There was a devotion. Now, whenever we talk about devotion in the church, let me just give you some background of how sometimes pastors can think because we want people to be devoted so bad, but sometimes we put the bar so low because it's hard for people to be devoted. I don't know if you have seen, like, like, we can sometimes feel like we're begging people to do stuff. Would you just please serve? Would you just give a dollar? You know, like, you just, like, show up to a group and get to know someone's name? Will you just, like, make a discipleship decision? And, 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 I, and I, I think because, like, we know the cost. We know it's hard. We know that following Jesus isn't always sexy. We know it's not always just, you know, even how sometimes pastors preach to just follow Jesus and everything will be great and perfect. 
And, and it's just like, I, I think too, and then how much we are competing with the culture. Sometimes us pastors and churches, we can put the bar so low that we're not actually cultivating devotion. We're cultivating motivation. And there's a huge difference of, of just like, just try this one time, and it'll change your life. And you're like, I went to a group, and it sucked. You're like, I, I gave money, and God didn't give me pressed down, shaking together a million dollars, you know? Like, <laughs> and it's like what I feel like sometimes we can do as pastors and churches is we can put the devotion level so low with a good heart to get people on board. But what we're actually doing is we're stunting growth. Let me just give you a couple thoughts. So when we were creating Life Track, which is just a shameless plug right after this, this service, in Theater 20, we're going to be having the first part of Life Track. I would love for you to come and learn about our church, the vision, the strategy, the structure, all of those things. Please see me or please come and visit us. we got lunch and child care provided. We would love for you to come. Now, as when we were creating Life Track and I put it together, it was about two and a half hours worth of content. And let me tell you some of the thoughts going through my head. Man, they're never going to do this. It's two and a half hours. Whew. But I'm like, it's good stuff. It'll tell people about our church. Like, what do we mean by following Jesus? What do we mean by doing life together? What do we mean by getting in the game? What do we mean by leaving a legacy? Like, this stuff we say and we proclaim and that we want for you, not from you. Like, two and a half hours, like... Man, I don't know if people are going to do that. And I've got a bunch of church buddies. Like, how, how can we get the, the assimilation process as quick and short as possible so people don't not want to do it? And I was just like, people give two and a half hours to binge watch a show they don't even like. I'm like, people give two and a half hours to go to a restaurant. They'll go to a bar and drink it up for two and a half hours. I'm like, they'll travel two and a half hours to go to, like, just as a day trip. I mean, two and a half hours. I'm, I'm, and then I just finally got to the point. I was, I was like, I can't know. If people want to know about our church, if it means something to them, it needs to be an investment. It, it's, it's funny. Like, when we were looking at when we were looking at a potential property, um, which it didn't work, okay, which is fine. We're very happy here at Regal. But the parking, it was about a one-minute walk from the furthest parking spot come and walk to the front door. We were thinking about things like, would people really come and walk? <laughs> Maybe we could get some golf carts or something like that to go and pick them up and, and take them, you know, and, and I'm like, are we really thinking through getting a golf cart to take people, I mean, if they have, you know, if that's why we have the spots up front, handicapped, like, I, I totally get, get that, but part of me is like, why are we trying to make this, like, so, e like, we're trying, like, do y'all see what I'm saying, do y'all see what I'm trying to say? Like, we're trying to take away any level of investment and devotion because this is what the culture's training you to do. Because you want as much as you can for as less as you can give. You're always trying to find a good deal. And we've even translated that into churches. How can I get without giving? 
And unfortunately, that is not the way the church is built. The church has grown. The church throughout thousands of years has worked. I love what Leonard, what Leonard Ravenhill said, which Leonard Ravenhill, be careful reading his books. He's a beast. He wrote the book, Why Revival Tarries. And if you're brave and you want to read something challenging, I would encourage you to pick up, pick up that book. But one of the things he said in that book is this. He said the early church was married, I would even say, devoted to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today the church is devoted to prosperity, personality, and popularity. And I'm not trying to guilt and shame. I'm just doing a cultural analysis. Because here's, here's the thing. We will want book of Acts results with U.S. Christian commitment. When, it, when you read this book, you will see a byproduct of everything that happened in that book. And even said Acts chapter 16, what was said about the church is that it was turning the world upside down. The byproduct of that was devotion. And I think the reason why we see our church with such a tepid influence, with, with being consumed with such things in the light of eternity, just as he said, personality, popularity, and prosperity, this isn't the path forward for the church family. The church did not grow to a point where it said it was overtaking the world through prosperity, personality, or popularity. And if you read Acts, you'll see. It was paved with a lot of persecution. It was paved with a lot of devotion. It was paid with a lot of Christians that said, this is the reason we're on this planet. I'll sacrifice to move the mission forward. Are y'all here in my heart? I'm not trying to shame, con condemn, or guilt. I'm not trying to do none of that. But what I am doing is I'm trying to help us see where we are so we know where we are because we got to define reality. And then you know, how can we get to where we are ultimately called to be and where the church should be? The first thing is church should be devoted. Now, also, too, when it's funny how at churches, and you guys know this, we can have, say, it's food truck Sunday. 800 people show up. I guarantee if we did prayer meeting Sunday. Hey, babe, do you want to go on a trip this weekend? I think that could be, but it's really true, though, because whenever we do big events and we say we're going to have bounce houses and stuff and, and the other thing, crowds are large. When we say, hey, we're doing a week of fasting and prayer, we're going to gather at this time each day, da -da -da -da, online da -da -da, each day, the numbers, like, are a tenth. And I'm not guilting. I'm not condemning. I'm, not, I'm just saying, is it a devotion problem? And I don't think you want to be a part of a church or you want to be a Christian that doesn't make a difference. I genuinely think like you want to be a part of a church, this church. And when I say the church, we, yes, there is the big body, all the churches, Christians worldwide. But then there's also, there's also local bodies. You even see Paul writes to local churches he planted, Philippi, Colossae. In Ephesus, like he, the letters in the Bible are written to local congregations, and he's giving them specific instructions. So, yes, you're part of the church, the whole wide body of every Christian everywhere, but then it's vital to be connected and devoted to a local body of believers, right? But here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to talk really quick because time is of the essence. 
like really bad. Like, Jesus. A couple thoughts about devotion, and then we're going to close. Devotion will look a lot like legalism if devotion is done with the wrong motive. So you see what they were devoted to. Prayer. Communion. Fellowship. And teaching. Like any church person knows I should want to do these things. <laughs> right? Like knows, but, but it's, it's hard whenever, it's hard to have a want to with these things if you feel like you need to do them in order to go to heaven and not to hell. Because then the motivation is, isn't I need these to grow. The motivation is it's fear-based, and you're doing it because you have to, not because you want to. The gospel, you can do nothing to save yourself. You can't pray hard enough, give more enough, fellowship more enough, or have more head knowledge. You being saved and going to heaven is by grace, through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, what people do, though, is they take grace and they use it as an excuse instead of empowerment. They will shout for grace, 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 without realizing grace is actually not an excuse to not do these things. It's actually an empowerment to do them. It's crazy to even think one of the th major things that hinders the church's devotion is the wrong mindset of grace. Because people, if they don't have the right motive, they will see prayer, fellowship, generosity, and teaching as, I do these things or else I will go to hell when it's like, what? no, that Jesus did what you couldn't do. These things are now done not because you've been given grace, but because you've, you have received grace, and then you have a not a have to, but now you have a want to. And what I see is we cannot have devotion because whenever we have a wrong mindset of what devotion is and devoting to these things for the wrong motivations, then we won't have a want to, we will have a I have to. And what you see is the, is the early church. You see the power of that word, devoted. It was born out of a repentance of saying, these things I do, do not save me, but they do shape me. I'll say that one more time. Prayer, teaching, generosity, communion, fellowship. Those things do not save you, but they do shape you. They are things that you do not as salvation, but as, get this word, medicine. They're medicine. And I love what Dallas Willard said. He said, grace is not opposed, or excuse me, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And many people take the grace of God and use it as an excuse to do nothing. Because in the American church, we said, pray this prayer and you're good. Heaven, YOLO, live it up, do whatever you want to do. When we should actually be saying, you've said the prayer. Now, what's born out of your repentance that we see in the very early church is that repentance led to devotion. Because they understood what they had been saved from. They understood what God's best was. Like there was, there was an empowerment, not an excuse. Are y'all hearing me? 
And my heart at LifeHouse is when we ask you to do things, when we throw things out there, when we throw out groups to you, when we throw out opportunities to give and invest in what God's doing, when we throw out dream teams and getting within the game, when we throw out opportunities for you to make discipleship decisions like baptisms, you don't see them as, I have to do these things to be saved. You see them as, these are things that I can do that will shape and form me to be more like Jesus. We aren't trying to get anything from you. We want something for you. But in order for something to be formed, there's got to be a devotion. Because here's a, because the thing is this, right? Devotion, you've got to make sure the motive is right. Because if you view those things as salvation, you'll miss the heart behind them. Secondly, though, like devotion is cultivated by discipline. You know, I, don't, I can only imagine how long it took from Acts 1 to Acts 2, how long they did prayer meetings with nothing happening. And, I, and really, I'll just say this. Devotion can and will look and be boring. But if you don't have the boring, you won't have the suddenly. From Acts 1 to Acts 2, there was probably a lot of boring, a lot of faithfulness, a lot of showing up when they didn't want to, a lot of serving people that they didn't feel appreciated it. There was a lot of boring going on that led to the suddenly. And I believe as the church, we are so afraid for people to be bored. Because honestly, a lot of times, faithful and disciplined is boring. And you know this. Man. Sorry, I don't know. I just, where'd that come from? Was that Friday? Jesus. I just did a Friday reference. Oh, boy. Don't go watch that movie. Where my BC days. Um, because really, I think we have this hyper monster drink energy Christianity, where if something isn't giving us goosebumps, and then well, I, I just it's not that important. Because you're operating by motivation instead of devotion. Motivation is I need to be inspired. So that's what a lot of the church is. It's like, just please see this, see this hurting part of our city. Do something, please. Or our teams are desperately dying in kids, but please just serve a Sunday. Right? When it's like, what if instead of us needing to be motivated what if we just said we're we're devoted like i'm devoted to this thing not to a personality right because here's the thing devotion to a church isn't about personality or it's not a business organization i think some people see devotion as like the church is this business and this this business entity or it's just this pastor that wants to just get my store for me just, just to get more stuff from you so i can upgrade from a 2006 scion with 245,000 miles on it to get me something better, right? Like, just we get more people, we get more money, I'll get paid more. And that's what some people can think. So we say, I'm not going to be devoted to that. I agree. You should not base your devotion to Jesus on me. You should not base your devotion to Jesus on the entity of the name LifeHouse. In Scripture, the church isn't a business entity. It's not a personality. Technically, in Scripture, it is deemed four different things, four, four different um, 
four different images. A bride, a temple, a family, and a body. So, and I don't got time to dive into each one of those. You can go and study scripture yourself. A bride, because Jesus is the bridegroom, we're the bride, and he's purifying and preparing his church to be united with him again one day. We're, we are the temple, whereas we are being built pers- personally, corporately, the spirit of God can then come and dwell. We are the family of God that comes together, that, that what binds us together is not our physical blood, but Christ's blood. And we are literally the body of Christ. The church is supposed to be the living, breathing, walking, version, expression of a Jesus people can't see. So when you think of devotion, don't think of, oh, John, I'm too low a standard. Lifehouse, too low a standard. Temple, bride, body, family. That's what the church is. So when you devote, this is what you are devoting to. You're devoting to that. You're not devoting to a business organization or a personality. Where was I at? My poor slide, people. Boring. So, would, 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 are we going to be willing to devote and endure the boring moments? You know any relationship has a, a lot of boring. Me and my wife, there's a lot of boring. There's a, there's a lot of, we have kids to take, football games to go to, baseball games to go to, mouths to feed, bills to pay. There's a lot of boring, but you know what? We don't get to the suddenly moments without the boring. If you know what I'm saying. There sometimes has to be some boring before the suddenly. What I'm saying is you devote to the church, and not just have to be motivated, but you devote. Yeah, I'm not saying everything in our church is going to be just woo because it's not. You're going, to, uh, you're, you're going to attend groups that are, are, that are going to be boring for you, but they're not boring for someone else. What if we attended groups instead of saying, what can I get, to be like, man, how, how, how can I be a presence for someone else there? Because we're, we're being cultivated. What does it do for me? Churches are not going to be built with that mentality, y'all. The early, I'm, I'm just telling you. A church, you won't grow as a Christian, and the church won't grow in its calling of what it should be if we have a what's in it for me. So can, can we have the grace to endure the boring? Okay. Lastly, Jarvis, please, please come up here. We need to end. Dwayne, I'm going to end service, <laughs> okay, <laughs> because we are way over time. Here's the thing. Devotion is not what is what you do. It's not what you intend. We have a lot of good intending Jesus followers that aren't devoted. Because devotion isn't what your intentions are. It's what you actually do. My wife doesn't thank me for my intentions. She thanks me for what I do. And what I would just say is, I hope you don't hear John's beating us up so he'll do more for Lifehouse. No, I'm saying is when I stand before Jesus, when you stand before Jesus, when we stand before Jesus, we can say, Lord, we looked at your model and we wanted to stand before you empty. 
we wanted to stand before you given everything we had to move the most amazing message ever forward through your temple, your bride, your body, and your family. So I hope you don't hear, I'm just begging you to do stuff. I hope you do hear our calling of what the church should be is devoted, but devoted isn't what you just intend, devoted is what you do. And that we would devote ourselves, as it said, to wanting to be taught, to fellowship, to each other, to communion, and to generosity, and to prayer. My prayer is that when we say we're having a prayer meeting, there'd be more people there than if we said we're having food truck Sunday. Why? Because we're not devoted to a good time. We're devoted to a God that's devoted to us. Our devotion is based out of him being devoted to us. Our devotion is based on the fact we have a God who is unequivocally devoted when he hung his hands out wide and he had nails dug into them. He was saying, I am eternally devoted to you. So we do not devote out of guilt, shame, and condemnation. We don't devote to a personality. We don't devote to an organization. We devote to a Savior that expresses himself through his church. So family, let's look back. Let's take this month and look back and read Acts. Please do it. Just start. If you fall off, get back on. Read as much as you can. Memorize Acts 2.42 through 47. And let's get a vision, a picture of what the church not just can be, but what the church should be. Stand up with me, church. Come on, we're going to close out. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.